Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, hello, and welcome to Saving Lives in Slow Motion. Today, I'll be looking at imposter syndrome. Now, I don't know whether those words resonate with you, but in modern times, imposter syndrome has become slightly overused, I think, as a means of getting across the fact that someone is either faking it or doesn't quite have the minerals to live up to the role that they're in. And it can go from anything from parenting to your job to um, matching people's expectations of, of you at the pub quiz or whatever. So I thought it would be useful to look at it in terms of where the actual moniker comes from, imposter syndrome, and what the origins of it are, and also what we can do to calm it down and also the other thing that popped into my mind is what if you really are an imposter you know there's there's always that possibility as well which I'd like to explore so where does imposter syndrome come from well it all starts in 1978 with a study by Pauline Rose Clance and Suzanne Imes and the actual title of the paper is called The Imposter Phenomenon in High-Achieving Women, Dynamics and Therapeutic Intervention. So the first thing you'll notice is that the study was only around women, and it didn't really have a lot of statistical power. It was more qualitative in some ways. So they had interviewed and, and treated using psychotherapy 150 women and they were really looking at patterns that were falling out of those sessions in terms of the approaches that worked depending on how women presented. It's interesting the language they use in the paper actually and in the abstract which you'll be able to see in the show notes um, they they talk about intellectual phoniness so they they say that imposter phenomenon is really about an internal experience so it's something that's in the mind of these women who you know for whatever reason feel that they are imposters and they they felt that there were lots of factors including the the stereotyping of female roles in society and one theme came up again and again this feeling that i'm not good enough or, oh, surely there was some mistake, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not good enough to be here. And, you know, that can manifest in so many ways, in symptoms of anxiety or depression or a lack of self-confidence or frustration. Um, and the other thing was that they found that women were much more likely to attribute their success 
to something external, like luck, for example, uh, whereas men were much more likely to attribute their success to a quality that was kind of, you know, inherent in themselves, that, you know, they were responsible for their success. Really interesting. And I guess the other thing is, is that what they found in this group of women is that they were all different. There wasn't one particular pattern. So often, you know, the the end result was this imposter phenomenon in that they, they really felt that they were imposters. But the the root cause, if you like, was different. So, for example, in some families, if a child, you know, is, is brought up and told that they're absolutely brilliant at everything and they can achieve anything, when you feel that you can't achieve what you feel that you should achieve, that can also bring on imposter syndrome. So you might think it's a positive thing, bringing up a child saying that, you know, you can, you can do anything you like. Um, but actually, if the child themselves is sort of feeling that, you know, they can't meet expectations, then there's a mismatch there, there's um, a disconnect. And that also leads to this feeling of being an imposter. Now, I really want to look more closely at different groups um, that you find that fall into this category of of imposter syndrome, um, because I think it could be quite helpful. And certainly when I look through them, I can identify myself and friends and family members that fall into one of those. But just before I do that, I think it's worth just taking a moment to realize that the statistic on this is that up to 70% of all people have feelings like this. So that means most people on the planet at some point get a feeling that they are an imposter. And I have to say, um, you know, as a GP, I'm so lucky I get to treat people from all walks of life. Um, And it is something that's really common. It comes up again and again in consultations like, you you know, just just in the sort of, in in a passing phrase, it might be like, you know, maybe I'm not as good a dad as I could be, or or maybe I'm, you know, I don't know whether I'm good enough to, to do my job and there's a lot of pressure on me. All of these things are imposter syndrome in different guises. And I can also tell you that of of the people that I've met who I think are incredibly, in inverted commas, successful or at the top of their game or in the top of their field, all of those sort of cliches, also have imposter syndrome. Almost all of them are racked with, um, I wouldn't say insecurity, but there is an element of self-doubt. Um, So in a way, I I take comfort from that because I think, hey, you know, this is not that uncommon. Okay, so who are the people that struggle with imposter syndrome? Are there different types of people? Well, Dr. Valerie Young is deemed a world expert in this area, and actually she was by background someone who was training in education and actually while she was into her graduate program she heard the study by Clance and Imes read out by a fellow student and it sparked something in her brain and she spent the rest of her career looking at imposter syndrome and all of the subtypes of people that struggle with it and what you can do about it. So this for me is really interesting. So 
if we look at the different groups of people that are prone to imposter syndrome, Dr. Young actually starts with something called a rule book exercise, which is um, a kind of assumption about what's going on in the minds of these people. So there are some common themes. And one of the things that she did with a whole host of different professionals um, from, from all sorts of backgrounds is this exercise based around competence. And this is so clever, this. So what, what she says is that, you know, this is the internal dialogue that's going on in the heads of a lot of these people. So if I were really intelligent, capable and competent, then I should know everything in my field. I should get it right first time. I should excel in everything I do. I'd always have the answers. I'd always understand what I'm reading. I'd always feel confident. I'd never make a mistake. I'd never be confused and I'd never need help. Now, that just reading that list sounds so unrealistic, but believe it or not, a lot of people are programmed like that, particularly people who um, are very driven or very successful in their field. So what then came out of that rules exercise, as Dr. Young calls it, um, were five different competence types. And these are the ones that really ring true to me when I think about uh, people I know, myself. Um, it's, it's almost uncanny. So I'm just going to go through them. Um, and I want you to just have a think about whether any of them seem to resonate with you. So the first one is the perfectionist. So the perfectionist um, is really someone whose focus is on how something is done. And that includes how the work is sort of conducted and how it turns out. And the problem with the perfectionist is that any minor flaw um, is a bit of a disaster. And that means you failed and that leads to shame. So I know a lot of people like that. I, I can picture them now. Um, so the second competence type is called the expert. And this is really a knowledge version of the perfectionist where it's all about what and how much you know or how much you can do. And because, of course, you're expected to know and do everything, any kind of minor kind of lack of knowledge means that you failed. So we've got the perfectionist and the expert. Next up is the soloist. And this is really about who does the job, who gets the job done and who gets credited for the achievement. And, you know, because, you know, if you're the soloist, because you think you need to do all the figuring out and everything on your own. And if you, you know, it means that if you've asked for help, then that's a sign of failure. So a lot of people feel that they need to do everything absolutely alone in order to validate themselves. You know, otherwise they feel like they failed. Interesting, eh? So the one after the soloist is called the natural genius. <laughs> and the natural genius is really, you know, about how and when things happen, um, but also in terms of ease and speed. So, you know, it, it's about picking things up quickly and being a natural at something um, rather than having to struggle to master something. Um, 
this is a really interesting one and I think this one really sort of strikes home with me because for many years anyone who knows me will know that if I can pick something up very quickly I'm really happy you know and and that goes for you know sports or music or whatever anything that takes a bit of effort um well, certainly when I was younger I used to just give up on because I just thought well I can't do this you know I'm a failure um and of course as we now know um all the research shows that actually that's just not the case you know everything almost everything can be taught and practice makes perfect you know so you're not born um you know a Wimbledon champion you have to work at it and so yeah really interesting that one for me because um I think that natural you know that talent versus hard work argument comes into that um and yeah basically talent there's nothing without hard work so what's next so the next one is called the superwoman or superman uh, or super student and this is all about how many roles you can juggle and be really good at you know excel in and that falling short in any of your roles you know whether it's as a partner or a friend or a parent or in your work you know all of them lead to feelings of shame i don't know how many of you feel that that in some way is just a reflection of modern life um something to think about so so that that's the sort of summary of the categories of the competence types that tend to feel imposter syndrome perfectionist expert soloist natural genius superwoman or superman or super student i just want to pause for a second there and let's just reflect on those and and just think about ourselves and how many of those sound familiar and then perhaps just thinking about how many of those actually you know going through those categories you know makes you possibly realize that they're flaws and that we are all flawed in some way but the good news is is that actually there are things that we can do about it so the first thing like i said before is that you're not alone um this is extremely common and if and when those things occur or you get those kind of thoughts then the first thing to do is to remind yourself that you're not alone and that actually this is very common the second thing is about changing your mindset it's really difficult when you feel like an imposter to not feel like that unless you change the way that you think and what valerie young says is that actually you know the only difference between imposters or people who who struggle with imposter syndrome and those that don't is that they think differently so you've got to sort of learn to think like the people that don't feel like they're imposters and that involves really a cbt type technique called reframing and reframing is really just a different way of looking at things so for example rather than focusing on things that you're not so good at why don't you focus on the things that you are good at um or you may think that 
you never say enough in meetings and that you're very quiet. But your colleagues might think that whatever you say has a tremendous amount of value and that you only speak when you have something valuable to add. You know, so it's about kind of taking the alternate view and changing the narrative because often these negative thought patterns, the ones that sort of lead to that feeling of imposter syndrome, are quite ingrained. They've been there for years. So you have to almost override that by saying the opposite or something that's different. So often they're sentences that you might think in your head that start with, I'm no good at dot, 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 or I'm bad at dot, dot, dot. And, and you'll often find if you search back in your mind, those things have been stuck on you from childhood or by friends as a joke at school or whatever. And there's no real validity to them. And you'll only be able to kind of give those things a go that you've shut off in your brain if you're able to accept that you're not going to get them right first time and you can accept that and that you're comfortable with that. And it's just so interesting, this, because I think so much anxiety stems from imposter syndrome in life. I, I really, really do. I'm not just talking about medics. I'm talking about patients that come in to see me. I mean, it is there in the background, you know, and it's tied into all sorts of things like self-confidence, self-esteem, um, and and just how you feel about yourself. So, yes, I think, you know, in summary, a lot of this is about being compassionate to yourself, allowing yourself the chance to fail, and knowing that it's not the end of the world. Right at the beginning, I said, what about the people that, um, you know, are overconfident and actually don't have imposter syndrome because they are actually imposters or they're just overconfident? Well, you know, there are always going to be narcissistic people that, that think they're better than they are at things and they put others at risk, potentially. And you've got to watch out for, for those people. I have worked with a character like this and actually it's it's quite dangerous because they can't tell the difference between when they're good at something and when they're not and they tend to just blag that they can do everything not good okay so i've gone on long enough i think so that was imposter syndrome i hope that's given you a little bit of insight into what it is perhaps you relate to it yourself I'd love to hear your experiences um, on this because I think it's actually so prevalent Um, we need to talk about it more Um, there are some great links on the show notes which I hope you'll find interesting including to the original study and what I'm going to do this week is every time I feel uh, like I'm feeling that imposter feeling I'm going to stop and actually ask myself a couple of questions. Number one, where do I have proof that I'm an imposter? And number two, what resources or what things would I need in order not to be an imposter? And I think that's a great place to start because most of us will realise very quickly that it's much ado about nothing. Okay, and with that, I'm going to sign off. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you once more. I really hope you're enjoying uh, the podcast and the whole series. Please do let me know what you think. I'd love to hear from you. Also, if you've got any topic suggestions, I'm very open to that. I'm going to leave you with one of my favourite quotes on imposter syndrome by the amazing poet and wordsmith Maya Angelou. And it's this. 
I've written 11 books, but each time I think, uh-oh, they're going to find out now. And I think that sums things up really nicely. Do take care. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.